Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to It Never Gets Old, a firsthand account of all things secondhand. This is a podcast about the secondhand economy, what it means for your closet, and what it means for the future of fashion. I am your host, Meredith Feynman, and I am joined by my bestie in the Westie, producer extraordinaire, queen of my heart, Sarah Lane. Hi, Sarah. Oh, Mare, I love that. Uh, How are you doing? I had to add a little extra flair, you know. Of course. Um, I, I'm good. I'm currently haggling over something on Poshmark. You know, what What else is new? Uh, a pair of Louis Vuitton sneakers that I really want that are completely unnecessary, um, that were very trendy about a year ago, and I just want them, but they're very expensive. Well, before we started recording, I asked you if you had ever heard of the brand Baja East, because... I bought a T-shirt off of the real, real, and I was like, I like this T-shirt. And you were like, yeah, that's a pretty cool brand. And I'm like, all right, cool. I guess I bought something that was affordable somehow that is cooler than I am. Well, it also turns out I've searched for this highly specific T-shirt before. I'm not convinced Baja East ever actually sold it. I think it was a gift to influencers for Gay Pride. I looked for it because I remember Glossier Queen Emily Weiss wearing it. And I was like, oh, I really like that. And you couldn't find it anywhere. So I think Sarah just got a collector's item on a whim. Woohoo! How about that? <laughs> See, I'm an expert already. That's like this one time. Ugh, I have this jacket I'll never get rid of. So frame denim uh, did this gift. And this is like the blood sport that then I get into is stuff that wasn't actually sold and was gifted to influencers or celebrities and like that didn't make it on the market. That's highly unusual, which is like a level 15. Maybe we'll get there at the end of it never gets old. Uh, but it was gifted for a fashion week a couple years ago and it has patches all over it and it says fashion tour and you couldn't buy it. They didn't sell it. And I walked into a consignment store in New York that I love and someone decided to sell theirs and it is mine. I, I will upload a photo on ingopodcast.com so you can see what I'm talking about. And Sarah's shirt as well. So I heard you were in Mexico City and had a little uh, vintage adventure. I did. Yeah, I was in Mexico City last week for the first time. It was a, it was a relatively quick trip, although L.A. to Mexico City is, is fairly easy. It's only a few-hour flight. 
And of course, it's a huge city. I only barely scratched the surface of a couple of neighborhoods, but I was struck by how many vintage stores there were there. It seems very fashionable uh, area of town that I was hanging out in. And you've got your high end stores, but the vintage things seem to be all the rage. Yeah, I'm super jealous. I've never been to Mexico City. It's on my list for this year for so many different reasons. Um, and I have a couple friends that live there, and I have heard that the vintage and secondhand scene is quite extensive. Um, and I heard maybe that you bought something from a vintage boutique. It just I'm it warms my heart. I'm cavelling. I'm I just the pride is swelling. Yeah, I probably bought the cheapest thing at a store called Void in La Condesa, which is a real real cute neighborhood in in central Mexico City. And this was one of those stores where I mean, they spoke English, so they explained it to me, but there are different rooms. So there's like your Chanel room and the Hermes uh, scarf area. And then they had sort of a coffee shop in there. Everything was sort of beautiful and curated and very precious. And then there was kind of the T-shirt area. (laughs) And I really liked the store. I I liked everything about it. And most of it was totally uh, um, outside my budget, even though American dollars to pesos in general works in our favor. So I bought a little sweatshirt. In fact, I'm actually wearing it that says, have car, will park, which doesn't make a lot of sense (laughs) to me, but I thought it was cute and it fit and it made me feel good. And I thought about you the whole time. Oh, I'm so, so proud of you. Um, We will do a subsequent episode on Chanel and Hermes. You know, one thing we've been talking about a lot is how much money you can save or make. But some consignment, if you're a real collector, gets way, way, way up there in price. I remember being at a secondhand store in Paris and I was, you know, I'm not I'm not much of an Hermes woman, which is a, a good thing because it's very expensive. But as I said, I'm fascinated as to why it retains so much value. I was like, oh, I like that one. It's blue. And like just out of curiosity, how much is it? And she was like, well, it's a limited edition. It's twenty two thousand dollars. And I was like, oh, well, I like just dropped it out of my hands and didn't want to touch it again until <laughs> I remember I tried on some gown. She mostly, it was a smaller store. I don't remember where it is. I haven't been back since. And she was the coolest woman, had a Shih Tzu in her store, which I have a Shih Tzu. So that was like great bonding. And I was putting on like a 70s poochie gown and I broke the zipper. I like, the zipper like popped off. And I'm literally like, in France, they don't have like, you know, spacious uh, areas to try things on, let alone anywhere to try things on. So usually if you're trying something on in a consignment store, in a place like that, you're in a closet or you're in their office. Right. Um, and right. I'm standing there in this woman's office and like I've broken the zipper on a like, you know, extremely expensive, rare collector's item dress. And I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. Like, I'm going to have to pay for this. I don't know if in France they have like, you know, you break it, you bought it. But like, I'm very nervous, and she ended up being very lovely about it. One would think that a zipper is something that can be reattached fairly easily, and you're probably not the first person to do that, but I understand the mortification you probably felt. Well, yeah, because it was just this woman, and there were only a few items in her store, and like we'd had this whole great conversation, and like I wasn't necessarily going to buy anything, and then I was like, oh, God, like because the only things she had were insanely expensive, so... Right, you can't just like, like buy a little trinket. Kitty buy to- something. I was like, oh, God... That's actually what we're talking about today is buying stuff. Uh, We've talked a lot about selling stuff. 
Uh, and one thing that Sarah and I were talking about, you know, before we started recording this was how do you know if you're in a consignment store to begin with? And Sarah sort of happened upon this place in Mexico. I remember once being in an Ina in New York, which is one of my favorite um, luxury consignment group of stores, probably in the country. They're all in New York. Uh, and I, I remember running into Nikki Hilton. And I, I think she didn't know that it was a consignment store. And she looked very confused. Uh, and then she walked right out. So we're talking so, about Nikki Hilton, uh, sister of Paris. Uh, yes, uh, sister uh, of sister of Paris, one of the Hilton heirs, and and the kind of person you would think could pay retail prices for just about anything. Yeah, and you know, there's some people that are very wealthy, like you know, pe- some people who are very wealthy still love the hunt, still love to find unique pieces, still collect things that are vintage or secondhand. Totally depends on the person, but like particularly the Hilton sisters, don't strike me as you know collectors of vintage t-shirts right so um yeah so she she looked like she was interested in the store and then kind of like looked at an item and got kind of confused and then i think was like oh this is this is used by um so so let's talk about how you know you're in a consignment store because that sometimes is honestly tricky like knowing where you're going knowing what you're looking at usually the dead giveaway is that there's uh, only one of each item, even if let's say sometimes now, and I, I am interested in this in general, a lot of stores will start offloading their end of season stuff that they haven't sold to consignment stores. Um, and I think that that's becoming more and more frequent, certainly for smaller boutiques. I know do it. There's one boutique that I in, in DC that I love that, that I know I won't, I won't name names that I know does it. And I'm like, where are you taking it? I want your stuff. Um, but there's usually only one of each thing, maybe two, but like that would be probably irregular. One thing, one size, you know, and a range of things that that don't necessarily seem to be all the same brand, unless there's like a Chanel room or an Hermes room, uh, then you you kind of know know where you are. I, w- I would say that that was my experience at the store that I had mentioned before. It was nothing looked old. Everything was pristine, but there was pretty much one of everything and you also get a little of that huh this is a beautiful chanel coat but not super modern it looks it looks like something that a very fashionable person from 1955 would be wearing yeah there's a lot of chanel backstock of tweed jackets and stuff like that all over the world i'm not a serious chanel jacket wearer um and those definitely range in price and sort of quality and and what have you, you know, this is a misnomer, too, is that all consignment stores are just musty, dusty piles of stuff. I mean, uh, Abby McLucas, who's a friend of the podcast, who uh, runs Gift of Garb, has two stores in Los Angeles, one in Silver Lake and one in Venice. You know, you walk into her boutique. It's styled after a beautiful, minimalist you know, concept store. And I think that's going to happen more and more with high-end consignment is this idea that people want retail experiences and we're sort of circling back to that uh, and that that's that's going to become more and more frequent. So a lot of these consignment stores look like upscale boutiques and that's a great place to start buying if you are new to this sort of thing. Um, It makes for a more comfortable experience. Uh, And then, you know, conversely, you know, you're in a vintage store when it's it's more, 
racks of particularly dated feeling and seeming items, looking for shoulder pads. You can kind of tell when you look at tags that fonts are older or that the tags look a little used. Uh, you know, that's really vintage stuff. Vintage stores tend to, especially because vintage stores, as I discussed in another episode, vintage stores typically don't buy directly from you. They buy in bulk from trade shows, from wholesalers. So there's a lot more volume. So that's just like how to figure out your surroundings. But it, but in this, this episode, I really want to get down to the nitty gritty of buying this stuff, how to seek it out, how to make it feel good. In addition to people feeling like consignment might be gross, which we kind of debunked and talked about, there is this idea that it's very overwhelming. That's the second most thing I get from people. You know, I, I help people go through stores and I've done that forever, even if it was just like a TJ Maxx, people sometimes get overwhelmed by a certain amount of volume and a lack of organization. But if you know how to navigate it, it leads to great finds and spectacular prices. So let's get into buying. Let's do it. So consignment stores can be cool and beautiful. They can look like high-end boutiques. You can walk into one in Mexico City and feel like you're having a luxury experience. Personally, I love older skewing consignment stores, older generation consignment stores, which is to say that it's usually older women that mm-hmm. open consignment shops uh, and it, it, you know, they're standing there by themselves. They've, this is either a hobby. I'm trying to figure out the why. I certainly want to talk to some of these women, but I love speaking to them about their stories in general because it's never a, their first career and often it's a later in life thing. And I kind of want to know why. Yeah, I think that that is a sort of a stark contrast. We've got this new generation of beautifully curated consignment shops that look very modern, very sleek, and and often maybe even fool people into thinking that this is all new. And then you've kind of got that, yeah, maybe an older woman, could be a man, but mostly women. And you think, you know, was this more of a hobby? Did she not really have to work? In many ways, they don't necessarily seem like they're making a ton of money, might be lucrative, but it seems more like you've got this older guard of of gals who do it because they just enjoy a shop. And I really love the charm of it. I love speaking to these women that honor things and honor garments and honor what people care about. And, you know, it's sort of a different time. And I think that the industry is changing so much. Um, and the way that we buy and sell consignment. One of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast, honestly, was the stories behind clothes, the stories behind what we collect and why we have things. That's fascinating. And we'll get into that a little bit sort of later. But I want to start actually with the newest crop, which is the explosion of online secondhand and how to navigate that, how to find good stuff, who are the major players, my personal experiences with them, uh, and what it takes to find great consignment resale stuff on the internet. So let's start with the industry gold standard, which you've likely heard of if you've heard of any besides eBay, um, which is The Real Real. Now, The Real Real was founded by Julie Wainwright. It was founded in 2011. So that was a hot minute ago. Uh, and it has become a total reintroduction to luxury consignment, luxury goods, and thinking of how we buy fancy things. One key point I always talk about is that we sort of redefine what a luxury item means by having 
a place like the real real exist. Previously, you know, if you gra- when you graduated from college, you got married, you have a li- have a life milestone, someone would potentially give you something designer and you would have that for your whole life. You know, right. this idea that now things can come and go um is something that the real real has truly like made not only in vogue, but it has made you know, way more acceptable. So and what do you think is the special sauce that allowed the real world to become a behemoth where maybe other companies failed? So Julie Wainwright has a history of running businesses. She has a huge track record. Um, I think that that's part of it. I also think that they have done what others haven't from a logistics standpoint, which I will, which I will get into. They've raised an unbelievable amount of, of capital. Uh, they definitely have more capital than any of these. And I will just say as a blanket statement too, there are new digital resale apps sites that pop up daily that people send to me. And so I'm going to cover sort of the greatest hits and the ones that I've personally had experiences with. I would love to hear from you if there are some that you like that I haven't heard of uh, because they're consistently popping up. So the real real, what's the deal deal? That's the worst joke I've, I've ever made. <laughs> um, but but so, so the real real really is the gold standard for luxury items. And it's different from the rest of these online consignment shops because it's run more like another e-commerce site, which is to say that you can return it. They have everything in-house. I mean, this is the only place where you're buying – like, I, I mean – as I said in a previous episode, I hope that like someday we get invited to like the football field. I can't even imagine like where they house all this stuff. Like okay, so Amazon when you say style. when you say in house, you do mean Amazon style, right? There's a warehouse that this is not just a consumer to consumer going back and forth type thing. There is a bunch of merchandise sitting there waiting to be bought. Yeah, it's basically the only one, which is I think why they have killed it from a logistics standpoint. You can only do that if you have like in terms of intake and cleaning and photographing and storing and, you know, selling. Yes. When I say in-house, I mean literally in their mm-hmm. house. Uh, they ha- they they also own all of it. The Real Real, if you're new to buying online consignment, is a great place to consider. It's also great for name brand luxury items. They only accept, I mean, it's a long list, but of all brands, it's a short list of things they accept. So, Major designers, Gucci, Balenciaga, Fendi, Chanel, Hermes, Tiffany's, all that all that sort of like very name brand high end things. Um, I would trust to buy from the real real because they also authenticate in house. So in their house, they have a whole team of people that authenticate everything. I will get into the wide world of fakes, which is something that has fascinated me for a very long time. But you're not going to get a fake Celine bag from the real real. It's just not going to happen. So you can you can count on the real real just vetting everything, which takes a lot of the guesswork out of it if you're getting into this for the first time. Yeah, and the other thing about the real real, and this is not brought to you by the real real. This is my own personal experience, but you know the other part is what's unique is you can return things for a refund. You have to read the fine print on the listing, uh, but that is unlike any of the rest of these. Uh, you know, peer-to-peer situations where you're buying something from someone else that, you know, Tradesy lets you return for store credit, which I'll get into, but the real real will just put it back on your credit card. So in my experience, for example, my best friend's getting married and 
she decided that we had to wear a navy dress. So I went ham, like ordering a bazillion things from the real real and trying them on and sending them back. And that makes for a really seamless shopping experience. Though, you know, you don't have wiggle room to negotiate, which I'll get into, you know, the prices are the prices, but they're always having sales and, and they're pretty good. And I would so I would trust to buy a big ticket item from the real real. I uh, was gifted as the result of a of a business deal, a Rolex watch, which wow. is in, in yeah, I, I know like it's I, I feel a little bit both proud and slightly slightly embarrassed but um <laughs> you know it it uh i got it for like 75% off of retail but it was still expensive however um i trusted the site for a big ticket item like that it came with papers i reinsured it and had it appraised and all that stuff but that's sort of what you can e- expect if you're looking for a luxury item and you're new to this world i would suggest trying the real real first when you hit any of these sites, always give your email. I know they're going to send you lots of emails, but almost all of them give you a percentage off of your first purchase. So you can be like that, be like that meme that they have. It's like, you know, me signing up with four different emails for title or whatever to get the like 30 day trial with like different wigs and all that stuff. I, you know, it's, it's worth doing. And I have um, sometimes, you know, given new email addresses to get that coupon, but you know, shh, don't tell well, me uh, And and to, <laughs> to your point, as as you were discussing this now, I went to the real real my first time, and I already have a twenty five dollar credit. So, yeah. So there you so, so there yeah. you go. And and yeah, a lot of this stuff is still really expensive. But hey, if I'm going to buy a seventy five dollar sweater that is really nice, and all of a sudden now it's fifty, that's a that's a great deal for somebody doing this for the first time. Yeah, and I'm really curious to see how the real real expands. I mean, they have raised over a hundred million dollars in capital for the business, uh, and they have done something that is a very like sort of millennial centric of trend, where something gets so big they do reverse. So you know, traditionally, when a business was successful from a brick and mortar store, then they'd go online. Now people are doing the reverse. You saw that happen with Warby Parker. You saw that happen with other brands that became online behemoths and then decided to do brick and mortar physical stores and the real real has actually done that too and i'm interested to see how that goes so the real real has physical storefronts beautiful boutiques just like the ones we were talking about earlier in the episodes uh if even more intensely curated and doesn't feel like a consignment store that's really made for people that either are overwhelmed by consignment shopping or don't know how to do it you can go into one of their stores in new york or los angeles i went into one of theirs in new york as someone who is so ruthless for a fashion deal at this point, I thought all of it was incredibly overpriced. But like it's their creme de la creme stuff. I would say, you know, 75 to 80% of that stuff, if not more, has all the tags on. They organize it by like small, medium, large. Um, and they had insanely beautiful things. I thought they were expensive, but, you know, it makes sense. And I'm, I'm very curious to see how they expand when it comes to physical brick and mortar, how that's doing. Um, But you can also try going into one of their stores and sometimes if you check on their site, it will tell you specific things that are in the store. So I was helping someone find a purse and I found it on the real rail and I was like, this is in the New York store. You live in New York. You should go just look at it, Um, which is a pretty unique, unique experience. So that is in a large nutshell, uh, the real rail. And I'm really curious to see as they sort of dominate the market right now how how that will continue but that's primarily luxury goods you know we're not talking vintage t-shirts we're not talking very used things 
Um, if stuff's beat up, like personally, I have this thing where I like to write, buy really fancy handbags with, that are kind of beat up so that like I don't feel bad like <laughs> getting a scratch on it. Like that's just a weird thing. But I like, you know, it's it's whatever. Um, you know, they're not going to take that sort of stuff. They're not going to have anything with holes in it, blah, blah, blah. I want to move on to Tradesy. So Tradesy bills itself as a technology company, which I think is very interesting. Um, you know, I've had conversations with the founder. She will hopefully be on the podcast. Um, but she describes her company as a technology company, which I think is very interesting. Um, and that is very different from what we were just talking about. So when someone says, okay, we work with consignment items, but we're a technology company, what does that mean? Are they talking about the back end? Are they talking about the process on the website? I think that for Tracy Denunzio, the founder, she she they're interested in, and I will let her speak to this, they're interested in the data that they're accruing on who has what, who's selling what, oh, okay. who's buying what. Um, but it's peer-to-peer. So Tradesy, they don't own anything. If you want to buy on Tradesy, you're buying from a person. So this is what's interesting, too, about the real real. And I think one reason why they've been so successful is that they've taken the person out of it. Like sometimes when you're buying consignment or secondhand, like people get strange about buying from someone on the Internet they can see. Oh, I did this thing one time where <laughs> I bought a pair of Golden Goose sneakers from this girl and we were like going back and forth on Poshmark, which I'll get into. And like she ended up being in Washington. And I was like, hey, do you want to meet up? And like, it was the oddest experience. (laughs) Like, even for me, like, I remember I went to her apartment building and she like brought her boyfriend down with her in case I was going to like, I don't know, murder her over a pair of sneakers. Sure. And and it was very awkward because I was like, now I'm literally seeing like where these have been. And like, they're going, it it was just an awkward exchange. I don't condone that behavior because also it it, like could be dangerous. But like, you know, most of these places want you to do it on, on the site. So, but, but to get back to what I was saying is that, you know, you have to look at a person when you're thinking about tradesy. Now you're getting into other individuals in the world. Tradesy is a site where you list your own stuff um, and you buy from a person. Unlike the real real, which has like bigger sales and whatnot, tradesy sometimes has that, but the price is determined by the person selling it. Got it. You know, the thing about tradesy is, so there aren't returns. You can return for store credit, which is pretty unique. I don't love that, obviously, because then you have to buy from tradesy again and you're sort of beholden to that because you have that credit, but that's the like deal you make. Um, and you know, one thing I often do with Tradesy is I'll message the person and ask them if they are open to a lower price because Tradesy does not allow offers as some other sites do, which I'll get into. The real real absolutely doesn't allow offers. It's like, this is the price, you know, it's, that's not how this works. Right. So there aren't, you can't offer for things on Tradesy, which I think is a design flaw because that gives me supreme joy and we will get into sort of haggling a little later and deal making. Um, but you can ask in the comments and I always think you should because people often want to move their things. So moving down the line, ThreadUp. You've probably heard of ThreadUp from a, a podcast. Uh, they are really heavy into the Casper set of, of advertising on podcasts. ThreadUp bills itself as the largest online thrift store. It is a place where everything is dirt cheap. You know, in selling, when you send your stuff in to them, you get very little money. But on the flip side, I think I got like a $20 credit and I bought an equipment top that was $19.95. So, you know, you got to hunt around a little. It's not great 
it's not organized that well, I don't think. But if you're looking for super classic, you know, American big box brands, Gap, Ann Taylor, J. Crew, Lululemon, places like that. Uh, I don't think they take fast fashion as much. I haven't checked in a minute. And sometimes you can find uh, some some really great steals on there, but they definitely don't have anything higher end. Yeah, I mean, right on their homepage, it's like dresses starting at $6, handbags starting at $9, tops from $4. That's Those are insanely cheap prices. Yeah, so I think that Tradesy, I mean, excuse me, ThreadUp is, is really looking to fill that void where the real real is very high luxury items you know high-end luxury items like i don't think there's anything on the real real that's under twenty dollars like maybe like a t-shirt maybe and they have a high shipping fees so um you know this is really aiming to bridge that gap if you aren't near a salvation army you aren't near a goodwill like we'll get into some of the irl shopping stuff but it allows you to have some of that thrift experience and and pay very very little and i like a lot of what thread up is doing you know, in terms of environment and in terms of sustainable fashion, that's a huge part of it never gets old. That's a huge part of this world. It Buying secondhand is truly the most sustainable option. It's recycling. It's reducing your carbon footprint. We will get way, way into this world when, when I have more conversations about sustainability and the fashion world and consignment and everything I think about it. But, um, you know, in talking to some experts, but ThreadUp is really committed to recycling a lot of clothing, whereas a place like The Real Real uh, will send back stuff they're not taking, or sometimes they have uh, options. But ThreadUp, I actually just sent some stuff to them. They they ask you if you want to recycle everything they don't take. Got it. So then we have Grailed. Grailed, I've only used once, but Grailed is where the hype beasts hang out, and we will have a conversation about secondhand streetwear sneakers that's a whole different episode and entirely you know podcast but grailed uh and its sister site heroin like the drug with an e on the end not condoning heroin but that's they've decided to launch a sister site grailed is for streetwear now sarah one one would say okay heroin with an e that must be where the women go is grailed mostly focused on men so for a long time, it's interesting. So Tradesy doesn't have men's men at all. And I was talking to uh, Tracy about that and, and it's coming. So that's good. But there's a huge void in the market for this stuff with men's. The Real Real has men's. ThreadUp has men's. Grailed was the place where, um, you know, you were buying streetwear brands and things that usually ended up selling for higher value than retail. So like very desired sneakers, very desired um, you know, Supreme gear, all that sort of stuff. And it was very male centric. However, I will say I am a huge buyer of menswear. And I'm a huge proponent of the future of fashion being unisex. Um, I think that a lot of brands have caught on to this. But uh, Grailed is is men's clothing centric. I, I think they should have just added a women's section versus like having a like Grailed for girls like that didn't I didn't love that. And, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of issues with with women and streetwear and and sneakers. And I wrote an article many years ago about sort of the pinking of women's footwear, this idea that I couldn't get cool limited edition sneakers because they didn't straight up make them in women's sizes. Women don't get limited edition releases. A lot of men's shoes started a size eight, which is a women's like 10, 10 and a half. Right. Um, and we're being boxed at a lot of these conversations, which is – going to be in a future episode because I think it's really important to talk about. So Grailed, you can bid, you can 
ask you know some a lot of this stuff goes down in the comments ask for something to be less but um railed is a place if you're looking for something that is difficult to find hyper trendy uh, and you're not necessarily getting a deal on it. This is the thing about all this like very highly desired streetwear is that most of it goes for over retail because it's like sweatpants and sweatshirts and sneakers. They they often go for way higher than retail. So that's not a place to find deals. That's a place to find stuff that you can't find anywhere else, like certain collaborations. Depop. Depop is very interesting to me. I've only used it once. I bought... <laughs> Um, and, and in a future episode, we're going to talk about buying from celebrities and influencers specifically, a lot of whom who ha- have started selling their clothes and accessories, which previously was kind of taboo, but, you know, it's becoming less so. Um, Depop is very Europe-centric, and it skews a lot younger, but I bought uh, – it's Chiara Ferragni. She is a super, super, super influencer. She's – she, I think, has like 10 million, 11 million Instagram followers. She's Italian. She's been a fashion blogger in the game for a really long time. She has her own line, storefronts, is married to an Italian rock star, whatever. I bought a limited edition. Um, Olympia Latan makes, is a designer who specifically makes these clutches that look like books. They're extremely expensive. And I bought one directly from Chiara's closet. And it was a limited edition Keith Haring, who's an amazing modern artist, collaboration with Olympia Latan. That was incredibly special. I'm not even convinced it ever went on the market and it was gifted to her or she bought it or whatever. Like So so you can get some insanely, incredibly special things. Um, And Depop is very young, Instagram-centric. Like There are very interesting stories about certain people that um, young, like teenagers that have cult followings that sell stuff on Depop, but it skews more European. And last but not least, my favorite Wild West of secondhand, screaming on the internet over $5 on a vintage t shirt that I want is Poshmark. Um, Poshmark is a fascinating company to me in that they. And I would love to talk to to some of the higher-ups involved. But um, Poshmark is sort of the Wild West of secondhand in that you can literally find anything on there. It is it, like anything. Um, I'm going to talk in a, in a future episode about um, secondhand skincare and like secondhand stuff you don't think about. And like should you buy that stuff and we'll get into that. But I mean you can find anything on Poshmark from a Swell water bottle to a Tom Ford lipstick, both of which I've purchased on Poshmark, to um, a Chanel bag, uh, which I got swindled on Poshmark, which is another story for another time. But, you know, there's a reason why they have those platforms in place. Don't do deals not on the platform because then you'll get swindled. So a word to the wise. I'm not sure if the real real, you know, sends to Europe, but um, there's pretty limited distribution and, and shipping for some of this stuff. So if you are listening to It Never Gets Old outside of the U.S., hola, shalom, bonjour, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, all those things, you know, um, ciao. Uh, no, that's bye. Oh, God. I'm no, you can ro- roasted by my three Italian listeners. You, you can ciao. Ciao kind of goes both ways. Okay. Ciao is high and bye. So we're only going to do a couple more because, you know, this is a lot of information and I hope you're getting to buy good things and I want to, you know, equip you and empower you to get the best stuff you can. But uh, I want to talk for a second about Snob Swap. 
formerly Snob Swap, which is now Lepree. The idea behind Lepree was that it's actually a way for consignment shops that have historically been, as I was saying, older skewing, super behind the times. I mean, I still go to consignment stores and vintage stores where they like write my receipt for me. Nothing is digitized. Um, Lepree lets boutiques, consignment boutiques, upload to the internet. So a lot of these questions about the industry is, are these consignment stores going to survive? A lot of them are very far behind when it comes to digitizing anything, as I said. like, And I know for a fact that consignment software is kind of behind. I thought at one point I wanted to maybe create some new consignment software. But like, are these small guys going to survive? And I think LaPree is, is pretty dedicated to you know, making sure you can shop these boutiques and that these boutiques can access a much wider audience than like the small one that they have just physically around them. Yeah. I mean, most of the companies that we just went through that do well online and are and are amazing in their own ways and have their own unique flair, I had never heard of before we decided to do this episode. So knowing that and using Amazon as the most obvious comparison, there are little Amazons all over the place that kind of come and go, but it's very hard to beat the name brand that has everything. One wonders how long a lot of these online stores will 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 last because without the audience, it doesn't matter if you've got a big in-house warehouse or you call yourself a tech company, you need the users. Totally. And and I think that everybody's since this has exploded, I mean one of the reasons why it never gets old exists is it's a multi-billion dollar industry and only growing. And I've said it once, I'll say it again. I've, you know, the future of fashion is nothing new. A lot of people are figuring out, oh, wow, there's really a market here. And people, you know, you look at the success of the real real and a lot of people are like, oh, man, you know, this is this is really a big thing. However, you know, for me and in part two of buying 101, I, I love, you know, in real life IRL stores. Um, and consignment stores. I I think I said in a previous episode, I sort of bill myself as the ducky of consignment stores who, if you've never seen um, the John Hughes Hughes film, Pretty in Pink, uh, starring Molly Ringwald in some truly iconic vintage and thrift outfits, um, you know, Ducky was her best friend who was in love with her, who also had iconic style. Um, and he would just basically hang out in the record store she worked in. And I sort of feel like like that with consignment stores. I love hanging out with these people and the people that work there and exploring stuff and like, you know, pawing through racks and literally pawing through racks with my dog, Bean. Um, you know, it's that's something I love. And, well, and I, I think I yeah. think that there's like a there's an impulse buy that is different in person than online. Impulse buying online for me is super dangerous. That's why I actually don't buy a lot of stuff online because it all seems like I'm just playing around and I, I buy it and it's all uh, very frictionless. And then $700 later, I'm like, oh my God, why did I buy these? But going into a consignment store would be that impulse buy where yeah, sure. Maybe you can get one day shipping, right? It, 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 buying online is it's, it's not like you're going to wait for a month for your stuff to arrive. But buying something at that moment and walking out with it in your hand is something that I've always preferred. I, I mean, I care about it. But this is also people that really, you know, it never gets old is for people to understand this world. But it's also for, you know, like, we need a name, but, you know, consignment freaks like me. 
I won't use the term freak, just consignment heads, consignment junkies. I don't know. We got to find a term. Please help me. I will accept all submissions. Um, But, you know, I think that I love the culture of it. And a lot of people really love the culture of it. I mean, those of us that that do like thrift, do like vintage, do like consignment, there is a culture to it and there is a camaraderie to it um, that is pretty unique. And I will get into in the second part of this how to be a part of that world because that's, to me, more fun than buying this stuff online. I'm lucky in that I don't like online shopping because my in-person shopping is already so out of control that um, (laughs) I started a podcast about it, but... Uh, you know, I think that I, I want that thing in my hand. And as I will get into, like, you know, sizes vary so much. It is only one of one that you you kind of need to see a lot of things before you buy them. You can find us online at ingopodcast.com. We are also INGO Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram. I want to hear from you. It never gets old. It's nothing without listeners. So on INGOPodcast.com, there you'll find more information on me, your host, Meredith Feynman, my producer, Sarah Lane, but there will also be space for you to submit questions, comments, and inquiries, as well as a call-in line if you want to leave us a short and sweet voicemail. 